Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, August 20th, 2022. As the Cardinals kicked off a road trip tonight in Arizona, and they did something this evening that they had not done at all previously in the season. Welcome into the show as we'll look back on the Cardinals' 5-1 to win over the Diamondbacks on Friday night. We'll talk about Miles Michaelis, the pitching performance that he put together for St. Louis, and a couple of familiar faces driving the offense as they both have done so often and so many times this season for the Cardinals. Talk about all that and more coming up on the show. want to set things up before I give you the answer to the question I opened at the top of the feat the Cardinals accomplished tonight that they had not done previously in the season. But before I do that, I want to give you a quick reminder. You can subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Listen to all the episodes for free by just subscribing. And uh, you can download the show, put it on whatever app you prefer, Head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 and click on more platforms. And there you can find all the locations, but I prefer Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So those are the main ones that we talk about here. In addition to subscribing to the show, you can support the podcast by heading to my Twitter account at bshafer12. Click on the money symbol and there you can support the show via Cash App or Venmo. And another way you can do so is head to patreon.com slash bshafer12. And you can subscribe monthly to support the show, and you'll get a few extra goodies, including some blog posts. And especially in the offseason, we'll get some listener mailbags off the ground when it comes to hot stove conversations. Where do we think the roster will go in the winter? Those can certainly be some fun times to follow baseball. When there's no games going on, there's still a lot behind the scenes that can be interesting to discuss. So looking forward to that. After the Cardinals finish their miraculous run to the NL Central and Who knows, maybe to the World Series. The way they're playing right now, I I don't think we can necessarily discount them for doing so. But let's hop right into the content of the show today as the Cardinals got it done once again. But they got it done under a scenario that they hadn't been able to succeed at all prior to this point in the season. Entering Friday, the Cardinals were 0-8 in the first game of a new road trip in the 2022 season. They had not won the opener of a road trip the entire campaign. An interesting stat that we can take a look at for Saturday's game, the Cardinals entered this series 8-0 in the second game of a road trip. Tonight with the win, they snapped that first part of the statistic, 0-8. They're now 1-8 in the first game of a road trip. Will they be able to move to 9-0 in game two of a road trip? That'll be up to Dakota Hudson on Saturday. He'll face Madison Bumgarner, probably a difficult task. I mentioned on the big show, KTGR, on Friday afternoon that I thought this might be the series where those numbers finally got flipped. I I figured the Cardinals would get it done tonight, and they did. We'll talk about how, but maybe a little bit concerned for Saturday's game. We'll preview that 
coming up toward the end of the show tonight. But let's go ahead and jump right into how the Cardinals got it done over the Diamondbacks. Well, first, they, they got another great pitching performance from Miles Michaelis, and it should be no surprise at this point that Michaelis has been really good and continued to be great for the Cardinals in this one on Friday. On the road, I was a little bit nervous about how he would perform just based on the fact that his last road outing in Colorado was the worst of his career, the 10 earned runs that he gave up against the Rockies about a week ago. And he came back to Bush Stadium and pitched really well over the weekend, which I guess would mean that the Rockies outing was more like 10 days ago. Hey, 10 days, 10 earned runs. That's fun. Wasn't fun for Miles, though, out in Colorado. But the last outing that he had was pretty fun. Eight innings, two runs allowed at Bush Stadium in that game on Sunday against the Brewers. Pitched really well. The Cardinals enjoyed the benefit of one of many great Albert Pujols moments recently. He had the big home run, the two-home run game in that Sunday win over Milwaukee. And, of course, the big one that sent Bush Stadium into a frenzy late in that game as he tacked on the three-run shot to bust that game wide open. Miles Michaelis was the beneficiary in that one. But I wondered how was he going to do on the road, given that his last road start was a tough one, and he'd actually had a couple recent road outings that weren't so good. Remember back on July 24th, he was at Cincinnati. That was one of the six-run outings that he endured. So for Miles, it's been a couple of shaky outings recently away from Bush Stadium. But that was not the case on Friday night. Eight innings could have potentially sent him back out there for the ninth, but I think with the pitch count over 100 at that point, it made sense for Ollie Marmel to go to his bullpen instead. 108 pitches for Miles Michaelis this evening. And Ryan Helsley, news from Friday afternoon, was not available and likely won't be available for the remainder of this series because, not due to an injury, but because he is on the paternity list. So, Congrats to Ryan Helsley for the expected new addition into his family. I'm hoping to join the paternity list myself within the next couple of weeks. My wife is certainly hoping it will be within the next two weeks or so as well, as we're getting close to the end for that situation. Probably you'll miss me for a few days on B-Shape Daily when that comes about, but uh, we'll try to get back into the hopper as quickly as we can to keep you guys updated on all things going on with the Cardinals. But for Helsley, he was placed on the paternity list before Friday's series opener, which means no stud all-star closer to turn to in the back end of this game. Now, it was 5-1 to one at the time, and so the Cardinals didn't necessarily need their closer for that spot. It wasn't a safe situation officially, and they don't go with Giovanni Gallegos either. It's actually Jordan Hicks that gets the ninth inning, and he looked pretty darn good in the opportunity. Gave up a couple of hits, which I guess is better than giving up a couple of walks, which had been his issue in recent outings. But, man, he was pumping some heat. Several pitches at 103 miles per hour. He hit 104 on the gun, I believe, is where he topped out. But the slider was working off of it just tremendously. The heat is one thing for Jordan Hicks, but when he's locating that fastball, it allows him to just open up a whole new world for the slider, which in my opinion, I know 104 is 104, but his slider is maybe one of the nastiest pitches in the big leagues when it's going. And it's obviously made better by what he can do with the fastball because you just can't, if you're a hitter, to go from that 103, 104-mile-per-hour heater and then try and figure out what's going on with the slider that just drops off the table and coming out, it looks pretty similar. You, I mean, you just don't have a chance. It's almost not fair. 
And it was good to see him executing some pitches in that ninth inning after getting himself into a little bit of a jam with a couple of base hits that he gave up. Really encouraging. Like, the Cardinals need him to be another guy that they can trust, whether it's in that bridge role. We've talked about some Cardinals fans being upset that Ali Marmo continued to use him for a second inning within an outing. I talked about why it's not realistic to expect he wouldn't do that moving forward. But in this case, you do have to go down your depth chart a little bit when your closer is on the paternity list. And the Cardinals didn't go out at the deadline. Like, they added the starting pitching that they needed, and it's really helped this team be able to go on the run that they're on right now to 67-51, and four games up in the National League Central. By the way, the Brewers lost their game on Friday. The Cardinals won theirs. So you pick up another game in the standings. Talk about stretching out that lead. It's happening slowly but surely to where by the end of August, especially if the Cardinals are able to sort of take care of business against these weaker teams, We've talked about for a while that this stretch was coming up. It started with the Rockies earlier this week. Well, they swept that series, and now they get this one over Arizona, and you suddenly look up, and the Cardinals have won five games in a row again. So they're really putting things together. I think the addition of two important starting pitchers has just allowed everything else to fall into place like a puzzle piece, and the Cardinals are feeling good right now. But there is going to be that opportunity to continue feeling even better if you can finish up this Arizona series with at least a series win, then you go to Chicago to, to, I mean, you're facing the Cubs, which is always interesting with the rivalry perspective, but you've got five games at Wrigley against one of the worst teams in the National League. That's the other way to put it. You can recognize that maybe four out of five inches you even closer to uh, busting this thing wide open in the NL Central. The Brewers have to face the Dodgers for a midweek series. So they just came off a series with the Dodgers. They're going to have to go face them once again. And right now, if you're the Cardinals, you're fans of those very same Chicago Cubs that you'll be seeing next week because they're taking on the Brewers at Wrigley right now. Eight to seven, the Cubs got it done against Milwaukee on Friday afternoon. And the Cardinals get to face the Cubs next. And then, like I mentioned, it's going to be the Braves next weekend. But then you've got the Reds before the end of August. So there's a chance for the Cardinals to really line things up right now. And they start out by taking advantage of this first game against the Diamondbacks. And I don't know really what to make of the previous statistic that the Cardinals were 0-8 in the first game of a road trip. Not necessarily a road series, but an entire road trip. So you've been playing at home. You go out for the very first time of the new trip, play a game, and you lose it. That's been the case every time for the Cardinals prior to today, and they were able to get the win. Now, if they can continue the other streak that they had going, which was a much more positive one, 8-0 in the second game, of a road trip. Ideally, they'll be able to do that, but regardless, they're in a good spot right now, and that's thanks in part to the job that Jordan Hicks did there in the ninth inning on Friday, but want to talk a little bit more about Miles Michaelis because it's kind of tricky with he and Wainwright, both veterans and guys that, like Cardinals fans, know what they've brought to the table, and they're going to have hiccups. Everybody's human. They can't be perfect every start, but it's pretty remarkable what they've been able to do over the course of this season. For a while, it felt like they might be the only two guys in the rotation that you could really rely upon. And now that they've added Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana to the mix, you feel a little better about the depth in the rotation. But the guys at the top are still getting it done. And if you look across all of Major League Baseball following tonight, which it's a little bit unfair because Miles just got the chance to throw his eight innings and somebody else maybe pitches over the weekend and they get to catch back up or pass him. But in terms of innings logged in all of Major League Baseball, in the, the names I'm going to read off are all National League names in the top five. 
but it includes all American League pitchers as well. For whatever reason, the National League has the workhorses this year, it would appear. Sandy Alcantara's number one, 173 innings that he's thrown. He's going to eclipse 200 innings with relative ease, it would seem like. He goes seven or eight or nine every time out. It's been one of the more remarkable pitching seasons I think we've seen in the National League in some time, and it's unfortunate that the Cardinals are the team that sent Sandy Alcantara to Miami. That was, of course, the Marcelo Zuna trade. Marcelo Zuna back in the news for uh, getting arrested in uh, the greater Atlanta area for uh, a DUI. That's great. Add insult to injury. John Heyman, I saw he tweeted out and said, wow, that Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen trade for uh, Marcelo Zuna is one of the best trades of the decade or whatever he said. And I had to reply. I said, well, it depends on your perspective because the Cardinals probably don't view it that way. But Alcantara's been fantastic. ERA of 1.92. Number two in Major League Baseball in innings pitched this season is Aaron Nola, 157 and two-thirds. And right behind him, just one out fewer recorded, is Miles Michaelis, 157 and one-third innings pitched. Logan Webb is fourth at 154 and two-thirds. And then Adam Wainwright is fifth in all of baseball at 150 and a third innings. So they may not have the best ERAs in the sport. Like Alcantara is below two. He's done a remarkable job logging the innings, and they've also been better than the innings anybody else in Major League Baseball has thrown as a starting pitcher this year. So it's pretty incredible that he's been able to do that. If you sort it by ERAs, those two Cardinals aren't going to end up quite as high on the list. Adam Wainwright's ERA, 3.11 this season. He's 22nd in Major League Baseball, according to qualified starting pitchers. And Miles Michaelis at a 3.32 ERA is even a little bit further down the list. But there is value to what both of these guys have done. And it's crazy that they're both in the same starting rotation. We talk a lot about trying to take the pressure off your bullpen guys. And the Cardinals have had issues at times this season, figuring out who the bullpen guys are and need to be. But to have both those guys rolling the way that they have, it's been a big advantage as the Cardinals have really gotten on their roll recently. I don't know how much of an advantage it ends up being in a playoff series, unfortunately. Like, at that point, you just need quality innings, regardless of how many innings you're getting. They've got to be good. Yeah, you'd like to see Wainwright or Michaelis in a playoff game go seven, but unless they're giving up zero or one or maybe two runs, the point ends up being kind of moot. It's a it's just a different animal when you get into a short postseason series in particular. Cardinals are going to be part of that three-game wildcard series more likely than not even if they win the Central Division. So at that point, it's just going to be all hands on deck. But to get to that point, it takes guys that can log quality innings, and the Cardinals have two of them. I mean, really, at this point, I'd argue that they have four of them, but even Quintana and Montgomery, how good they've been, they're not going seven and eight with the frequency that we've seen Michaelis and Wainwright do it. It's just been uh, incredible. After the season that Michaelis had a year ago, which was essentially a lost season for him, in 2021. He only made nine starts with a 4.23 ERA. The injuries, it took him a long time to get off the ground because of the injuries, and it just wasn't the Miles Michaelis that we saw when he first came to the Cardinals back in 2018. 2019 was kind of a a similar situation for Miles, where I think the injuries started at the end of the year. He was still that workhorse, but he wasn't nearly as effective. And toward the end of that year, we got wind or at least we knew in the spring training of 2020 that Michaelis was kind of dealing with some some injury issues at the end of that 2019 season, and then he lost the entire 2020 season because of it. In 2021, 
was not himself and only pitched in nine games. So for Michaelis to return to basically the form that he had in his first year with the Cardinals, for him to be doing it at age 33, he's turning 34 in just a matter of days. It's another veteran guy that it just feels like he gets underappreciated a little bit because of how good he's been and just very unassuming the way that he goes about it. it. It's just seven or eight innings every time he's out there, it seems like. I want to go through his game log a little bit and and see really how often that's been. Obviously, when you throw in some bad starts like Colorado where he failed to get out of the third, that's going to hurt your average. But I'm going to count him up. He's had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine starts of at least seven innings. And about half of those have been at least eight innings. And in an era where starters are pretty much five and dive for the most part, and you can get credit for being that way, and it doesn't really hinder you in terms of uh, the effectiveness or what people think of your performance. I mean, you can look across the game at certain guys like Tony Gonsolin. He's had a great year for the Dodgers. 2.12 ERA, only 123 innings, though. There's value to the fact that Miles Michaelis has thrown 34 more innings than Gonsolin, and maybe by the end of the year, that, that gap will be even more significant. So... I think the Cardinals are pretty happy with that contract at this point in time, don't you? That's a situation where it was looking kind of kind of iffy, right? He had that great 2018 season and then signed the extension and then ends up missing the better part of two seasons, and you're thinking, man, he has just taken the, the Cardinals for everything they're worth. Like, what a, what a rough contract extension. But he's making it worthwhile right now in this 2022 season, and for Wainwright to be doing what he's doing, it's really allowed the Cardinals to stabilize things from where they were. And you look at the results of that, it's been tremendous. The the wins that they've been able to rack up starting in the month of August and really going back to that July 31st. Since then, the Cardinals are 14-3, and three, which has really turned this race in the NL Central on its head entirely as the Cardinals move to four games ahead. And another element in addition to the pitching, which stabilizing that rotation, we haven't heard a lot from John Moselock since then, but pat, him, pat himself on the back because he has done what he needed to do, I think, to get this team into position to prepare for October. Fixed the rotation, and Jack Flaherty on the way, he could end up taking Dakota Hudson's spot down the stretch for September, and that might be as formidable of a one through five as you're going to find. I mean, they don't have the high-end guys like the New York Mets. They don't have two guys like Scherzer and DeGrom who are going to strike out 11 guys a game and are going to be that type of power pitcher. But in Michaelis and Wainwright, they've got two guys that are very dependable. And then to pick up Quintana and Jordan Montgomery and maybe throw Jack Flaherty back into that mix, it's a pretty impressive bunch. What else is impressive about the Cardinals, though, this season, and it's been the case all year long, why should it be any different now? Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado in the middle of this batting order. You should have figured that it would have been a good game for Paul Goldschmidt on Friday night as he returns to Arizona, where he played the first eight years of his career. And in the first inning, what else would he do but hit a home run? Goldie starts things off right for the Cardinals, gets them that early one nothing lead. And then in the seventh, he contributes once again with a base hit that scores another Cardinals run. Nolan Arenado comes through with a couple more RBIs in that inning. For the night, the Cardinals weren't all that impressive in that Several of their guys went over. Newtbar, Edmund, Pujols, DeYoung. And we'll talk about DeYoung a little bit more. And Tyler O'Neill as well maybe needs to be considered 
all went over. But the guys who decided to, to show up offensively certainly showed up in a major way. Yadier Molina went three for four. Dylan Carlson back at the top of the order. It was interesting to see him continuing to have some good numbers lately. Two for five with a run scored against the lefty. I think that's a position that I'm back to being comfortable with Dylan Carlson existing in at the top of the lineup. I like Newt Barr there against right-handed pitching. I think Carlson is, is better suited with the, the way he has hit lefties this year. It's a it's a good situation. We've talked about the platoons being uh, very favorable with the Cardinals and the way their lineup and their roster is constructed right now. Uh, that was something we really dove in on yesterday's show, if you want to scroll back on your B-Shape Daily podcast feed. But I really like the look of that and the way things have uh, panned out. We didn't see Brendan Donovan in the lineup tonight, but his success the last couple of days have come against right-handed pitching. And this was a lefty Tommy Henry for the Diamondbacks, who pitched very well in his start. Five and a third innings pitched for Henry. Struck out seven. He had some nice uh, swing and miss stuff that... Sometimes seems to happen for the Cardinals every time they face a new lefty that they've never seen before, and he's pretty new to Major League Baseball. Seems like the Cardinals have trouble squaring up those guys. Well, Paul Goldschmidt didn't, though. He's the one that got to Henry there in the first inning. He sort of settled in after that. But look at these box scores from the guys in the middle. Paul Goldschmidt, three for four, the two RBIs with the home run, scores a couple of runs, and he reached base via walk as well. On base four times to raise his batting average, to 339. His OPS is up to 1056. Like he's going to finish the season with an OPS greater than 1000. And when he does it, it's going to be the best year of Paul Goldschmidt's career in Major League Baseball. He had had one year with an OPS greater than 1000. It was back in 2015 when he had a 1005, a 1005 OPS. He hit 321 on base of 435 slugging 570 that year for the Diamondbacks. 33 home runs, 110 RBIs, 21 stolen bases that year for Goldie, second best mark of his career. That's the only element that I think he's not going to be able to catch in 2022 from that career year that he had in 2015 when he finished second in the MVP vote, won the gold glove, won the silver slugger, was an all-star. He's got two career finishes in the MVP vote at number two. 2013, he did it as well. 36 homers, 125 RBIs. He led the league in both categories, led the league in slugging at 551, ended the season with a 952 OPS, which also led the league. And I'll tell you what, he finished second that year. He finished second in 2015. He's not finishing second this year, guys. He's going to win the MVP in the National League. As long as he as long as he doesn't have just a complete departure and falls apart at the end of the season. As long as he avoids something like that, I just don't see any way that Paul Goldschmidt does not come away with this award. If you look at the statistics and where he ranks in the National League right now, year to date, in the hitting categories, yeah, he ranks first in all of them, but the notion that it's just not even close in a lot of the, the categories that I consider to be most important. OPS is the top of the list for me. 1056, second best is Austin Riley's 929. And oh, by the way, after Nolan Arenado's four for five with two RBIs tonight, he could pass Austin Riley and end up number two. He's at 923, Nolan is, for OPS, and Austin Riley's at 929. Goldie leads the way in slugging, again over Riley by about 60-some-odd points. He's 635. That would be a career high for Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, he is just breaking 
the the career best of a career that was already ridiculous prior to 2022. And he's just setting new records for himself. 421, the on base, that beats out Juan Soto, who's at 413. You've heard of him. 339 batting average leads the National League. Freddie Freeman is second at 319. Goldsmith's home run tonight is his 30th of the season. He's only four off the lead of Kyle Swarver in the National League. He's got 96 RBIs, and right now that's second in the league, behind only Pete Alonso, who got off to such a ridiculous start. I think it's possible that Goldie ends up passing Alonso in that category as well, especially if he can get some guys on base in front of him. Cardinals maybe have been costing Goldie a little bit in that category when sometimes Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, not getting on base quite as often. They got to get that number two spot in the lineup going as well. It was Tyler O'Neill tonight with the 0 for 5. A little bit frustrating. Uh, you're not going to be too frustrated about m- many things that happened in a 5-1 to one win for the Cardinals on Friday. But I do think in the long run, especially when you get into the playoffs, the way I look at this team and the way that they're built right now, I don't think it's going to be the pitching, especially not the starting pitching, that lets the Cardinals down into October. If and when they get eliminated from the playoffs, it's going to be for the same reason that I think it's been each of the past several years. It's the offense not showing up in key spots in October. Obviously, they only played one game last year. They lose to the Dodgers in that wild card game, but they didn't they didn't score any runs. I mean, they had the one run that was manufactured early in that game against Max Scherzer on an infield hit, I think it was, or a ground out. So it's not like they had a, a very good offensive performance there. You can remember the Padres series. Jack Flaherty pitched his ass off in game three of that wild card series in 2020, the COVID year. Uh, Cardinals couldn't score for him that night. 2019, they did they even score a run in the NLCS against the Washington Nationals? I'm sure they did at some point. I was there for some of those games, but it just was one of the it was one of those deals, man, where the offense let the team down. And so that's each of the past three postseasons for the Cardinals. It's been the offense that has let them down. And on nights like tonight, you could kind of see the path toward that happening. If you're relying upon Goldsmith and Arenado every single night to carry the bacon, carry the bacon. I don't even think that's a phrase. But they end up with four of the team's, well, four of the four RBIs tonight. The fifth run was scored on a Carson Kelly pass ball. You remember him, I do believe as well. Nice kismet that Paul Goldschmidt scores on that pass ball that made it 5 nothing Cardinals. But it definitely works to have Goldie and Arenado driving in the runs, but they can't be the guys always driving in the runs. You've got to expect participation and contributions from other spots in the order because if they have an off day in the playoffs, you want to be able to believe that it's not just going to be a signal of a Cardinals 4-1 to loss because they're not going to be able to come up with other avenues to scoring runs. That's really the bottom line. And I think you see enough holes in the lineup right now that you say, all right, if they could fill those and consistently figure things out, then you'll feel a little better. But like Paul DeYoung, he's a guy that we unfortunately have to talk about again and not in a good way. He's been on a pretty significant offer at this point. I think it's over his last 16 across Five games now, 0 for 4, 4 strikeouts tonight. So he's back to looking pretty helpless at the plate. And this was against a left-handed pitcher, and that's sort of, at least for the start of this game, with Henry going 5 and a third. That's a spot that we've had some faith in Paul DeYoung. He's had better numbers against lefties when he's gotten the chance this year. Tonight, that wasn't the case. He's got the batting average back down to 175 and the OPS at 601. For me, Paul DeYoung is back to being a part-time player. That's the way I would use him. I'd still give him some shots against lefties, but he doesn't have to play every day. He can be a bat off the bench if you want to work him in that way. 
but you've just got too much talent, I think, on this roster. Guys like Brendan Donovan, it, it, they're not splitty. It doesn't really matter if he's facing a lefty or a righty. Brendan Donovan's going to give you good at bat. And I know he's played as the DH, played as the DH. He served as the DH the last couple of games that he played. But I think he can play the field too. Like we've seen his versatility defensively to know that Brendan Donovan can be a valuable guy at third base. He can do it second base. He can play the corner outfield if he really needed him to, which right now I don't think the Cardinals do unless they want to reconsider Tyler O'Neill's everyday role. He's got a 784 OPS and he's on base of 403. That's Brendan Donovan right now. You look at the platoon splits. It's pretty encouraging. I mean, how much more could you ask for than this? Against right-handed pitching, which is what he's predominantly seen this year, Brendan Donovan, 782 is the OPS. Against lefties, 788 is the OPS. And he's a left-handed batter, so that left-on-left having a slightly higher OPS is sort of interesting, but just 55 plate appearances against lefties. But that's just how consistent he's been. He's actually getting on base at a 455 clip against left-handed pitching. For me, he maybe ends up as an everyday player. I don't care where you put him in the field, but for right now, I'm putting him in the lineup almost every day over DeYoung. And sometimes you'll have a spot where DeYoung can still play shortstop because Gorman's not going to play against lefties. You're probably DHing Albert for the most part against left-handed pitching, which he had no for tonight, which is going to happen. Uh, I, I don't worry about Albert moving forward. I still feel like he can be a, a major contributor against lefties, but he did have a very rare game, did Albert Pujols. 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. You don't ever see Albert Pujols strike out three times in a game. Looking it up here on StatMuse, I'm a little bit surprised that that's the fourth time it's happened to him this season. I searched for 2021. There were no examples of it. 2020, it happened one time. 2019, it happened one time to Albert Pujols. So he's done it four times this year as of tonight. But over the past four years, the number is only six times. So for as much as Albert has declined in certain areas of the game, he's still not been a guy that ever strikes out very much throughout his career. And I want to double-check this statistic just to sort of articulate how great he has been, which you guys are already aware. But Albert has never had a year in his career where he has struck out 100 times. It's never happened. He struck out 93 times in his rookie season, struck out 93 times in 2017. Other than those two years, there hasn't even been a year where he struck out 80 times. Every other season has been in the 70s or below. A quick glance, it looks like 76 was the other, the third highest mark of his career, and that was another Angels season, 2012. So that's pretty ridiculous, and he's only struck out 34 times this year. Part-time player, the strikeout rate probably has gone up a little bit to where if he had 600 plate appearances this year, he'd be right on pace to, to maybe break that mark, but it's not going to happen, so it'll it'll be something that he ends his career with that accomplishment. Just to give you a little bit of a comparison, Paul Goldsmith has struck out now 100 times this season. Granted, 339, OPS of 1056. You're not worried about it, but I'm just saying, you want to give Albert some some more credit. He, he deserves all of it, but that's a pretty remarkable stat. But yeah, 0 for 3 for him tonight. Typically, though, I'm happy to, to see Albert in there against lefties, and as I mentioned, if the Cardinals end up wrapping up this division the way that I think they might be able to do, I'd lead him off. I'd lead him off for the entire month of September. If they can get far enough ahead of the Brewers, probably not going to happen, but they'll start playing him against more right-handed pitching for sure. 
just because of the notion that they, they want to see how far he can get uh, approaching that 700 number. But I do worry a little bit about the Cardinals offense when it's just guys like Goldie and Arenado getting it done. It's great to have those guys talk about the, the best trades of the last decade. You might say that the Alcantara trade to Miami was about as lopsided as it gets, especially because that turned into Jazz Chisholm for Miami as well by uh, flopping or flipping Zach Gallon to Arizona. Luckily for the Cardinals, they do not see Zach Gallon in this series because he's thrown 21 and two-thirds scoreless innings in a row with like 26 strikeouts over that span. He's been ridiculous. I still have him on one fantasy team, but I traded him in another league or two. Anyway, I look at the Cardinals lineup and say, it's great to have those guys in the Goldsmith-Aronado trades. Both of them, the Cardinals came out on top in. I think the statistic from the broadcast tonight was something like everybody combined that left the Cardinals in those two trades has combined for like 0.2 wins above replacement combined. So it's been pretty much a landslide that the Cardinals have have come out ahead in those deals. And it's great to have those guys, but I do look for other places in the order to, to maybe get things going. Yachty was three for four tonight. You're not typically going to see a ton of offensive productivity from him, I think, at this point in his career. Newt Bar did reach base via walk, but he was 0 for, scored a run, though. I'm just looking at those spots like that number two spot in the order. If you can consistently get that to be a stud producer, I don't really care who it is. I liked how it looked with Brendan Donovan there. And like I said, he's not been susceptible to platoon splits. He can hit lefties as well. And he's gotten on base at a 450 clip against lefties. So I'd be putting Brendan Donovan in there pretty often. And it's going to be coming at the expense of not only DeYoung, but Edmund as well. Gorman's going to play every time against righties if it's my lineup card. And I don't worry too much about whether it's DeYoung or Edmund on on a given day that sits out. I think they can both sit out equal amounts against right-handed pitching at this point. And you just sort of, you sort of live with that. You live with maybe if it's a bit of a defensive downgrade, which I don't think it too much would even be because I like what we've seen from Nolan Gorman. That's not to say Nolan Gorman is a defensive wizard or a gold glove caliber second baseman. He's not, but I think he's good enough that with what he can bring offensively, it makes the trade-off potentially worthwhile. Although now that I'm looking at Edmonds' numbers for the season, he's kind of in that same boat as Donovan where he's not been overly splitty. And his numbers are actually better against left-handed pitching with a in terms of OPS, 706 on the OPS to 674 against righties. But in either case, that's not really enough to, to say, yeah, you need to be playing over somebody else who is OPSing around 800 like Nolan Gorman at least is capable of doing. He's not quite at that number right now, I don't believe, but he's hovering just below it last I checked. I'm looking for the offensive upgrade because the Cardinals in that number two spot and that number five spot as well. Like Albert can fill that five spot at times when he's going strong against lefties, but Gorman maybe can be someone that elevates into that role against righties. I want to see the number two spot filled by someone who can consistently get on base. Maybe that's Brendan Donovan, whether he's playing second and Edmonds out or he's playing shortstop and DeYoung's out or he's DHing, and you don't have Albert in the lineup. You don't have Gorman in the lineup, perhaps. doesn't matter to me. I'm stumping tonight officially for more Brendan Donovan just until he cools off. Like if it ever happens, fine, but he's, he's hitting his stride again. And I don't think it matters whether it's a lefty or a righty on the mound. Uh, I think he's just, hitting the ball and, and finding ways on base, whatever he does. He's just a, a gamer and has been that for the Cardinals ever since he got called up. 
Juan Yepes is another guy that we've appreciated uh, the contributions that he's given the Cardinals this season. The update on him is that he's back healthy, but the Cardinals did option him to AAA officially on Friday as part of a, a slew of roster moves. I mentioned the Ryan Helsley move to the paternity list. They called JoJo Romero up to the big league roster for the weekend, which I think does make sense in terms of replacing Helsley in the bullpen. Uh, Romero's a guy that he is a lefty, and this Diamondbacks lineup is pretty left and switch hit heavy. So I think that's a move that makes sense. We didn't see him, obviously, in tonight's game with Michaelis going eight innings, but I do imagine we'll see him at some point this weekend. For Friday, though, that got everything they needed to out of Michaelis and then Jordan Hicks with the scoreless ninth innings. Three strikeouts, by the way. He did strike out the side, but gave up the couple of hits there as well. But that was part of the deal that Yepes ends up going back to Memphis. I think he'll be up in a couple of weeks. Rosters will expand, not like they used to, when it used to be the entire 40-man roster could come up during September call-ups. I think it's 28 now is the number, which only gives them a couple of extra spots to work with. I would imagine, though, with the contributions he's given this season, uh, there's no other bat you'd like to have than Juan Yepes. So we'll wait and see what happens, but it could be a couple of weeks before we see him again. But there have been great contributions from young guys. And it's going to be the point of the season where I think the Cardinals have got to sort of decide what it's going to look like or be willing to try some other things. I want to see Tyler O'Neill be great for this offense once again. He was great last year, but his OPS this year is 650, and the sample size is climbing. So what kind of player can they reasonably expect him to be, and how do they make lineup decisions based on that information? DeYoung, same question. Um, his his productivity has been even lower than O'Neill's. Obviously, he spent a good bulk of the season in Memphis because of the struggles he's had at the plate. Tommy Eben, what is the expectation to keep him in the lineup because he's a 683 OPS with a 253 average and uh, an on base around 300 right now. That's not offensively. That's, and I, and I know wins above replacement. You can look at Edmund and say, well, he's one of the top numbers in the league for a while. He was leading the entire league, depending on which war uh, statistic you were looking at based on which service provides it. That's one where I just, it, I, it, I scratched my head a little bit because I love Tommy Edmund, but he has not been that kind of hitter. And as much as he's been good defensively, it's been at second base for the most part, and then some shortstop where he's been uh, more than fine defensively. But I, I can't look at that and say that's been the most valuable player in, in the National League or anything like that this season. I think you have to consider that Brendan Donovan can supply somewhat of a similar approach defensively. I'm not going to say he's as good. I think Edmund is phenomenal defensively. But it's about getting on base, and it's about helping out those guys in the middle because, again, to expect that they're going to be able to do it every night in the playoffs is a fool's errand. It's going to get you knocked out early if the rest of the guys can't come through. So if Carlson or Newt Bar can platoon their way to a good advantage at leadoff, that's great. I want to see who's going to fill that number two consistently. I like that the idea was to put O'Neill in there and maybe he sees better pitches in front of Goldie, but uh, an 0 for 5 tonight, those games are going to happen. I'm just looking ahead, though, and wondering what the Cardinals are going to want to do about it when they get into the playoffs, because if I have a prediction, it's that when the Cardinals get eliminated, if they don't end up as the team on top of the mountain at the end of the postseason, it's because of the offense. I don't think it's going to be because of the pitching. I think the starting pitching is tremendous where it's at right now. You may not see the upside of, of teams like the Mets or the Dodgers or the Braves, but it's as sturdy as hell, and I think that's going to be an advantage to the Cardinals when you get into even a three-game series, but certainly in a five- or a seven-game series of the NLDS or the NLCS. The bullpen, I think, is going to be just fine. Uh, you're going to need Gallegos to be on his best because you're going to need him and Helsley both pretty much 
at, at your beck and call when it comes to the playoffs. It's all hands on deck. Like Genesis Cabrera has struggled. How much are you going to be able to rely upon him from the left side? You wonder about Jordan Hicks. How how far can he elevate? If Jordan Hicks and, and say, Andre Pallante can be reliable relievers for you in the playoffs, and, and, and Cabby finds his way back to prominence, that's, an, that's five or so guys that you feel uh, pretty decent about. But that could be an area of, of question a little bit more. Uh, but I really do think it's the offense at the end of the day. I trust that the bullpen will be able to cobble it together. I, I certainly trust what the rotation is right now. We do get to start looking ahead and thinking about the playoffs because where the Cardinals are, four games up, it's not that they've they've uh, already entered into the phase where they're wrapping things up, but you feel good about the direction things are heading right now. And so I do want to start to uh, at least be occasionally turning our attention to things of the future and what that could look like. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Really good win for the Cardinals, 5-1 to one on Friday night against Arizona. We're going to look ahead to Saturday. Cardinals will take on the Diamondbacks once again, Dakota Hudson. What can he bring to the table against Madison Bumgarner? My answer to that is, uh, well, it doesn't really matter. He's not facing Madison Bumgarner, and he needs to just consider that he's facing a Diamondbacks lineup, and maybe they'd put him into hit. He is a pretty good hitter uh, for a pitcher, but with a DH in play, probably not a factor now. But he's facing a lineup that has one of the lowest batting averages in, ba- in baseball this season. They're 26th in MLB in batting average, 26th at home in batting average, so it's not like a Rocky situation where they're much better at home than they are on the road, they're pretty much paltry, regardless of where they play. However, one thing they're good at, and this could be interesting to see how Dakota Hudson is able to combat it, is they rank 7th in MLB this season, the Diamondbacks' offense does, in walks per game, the amount of times they reach via the free pass. They're 7th in MLB. That's pretty good. They have to be that way, I think. they got to be selective because as far as putting the ball in play and getting base hits, they're not as good. So if you're Dakota Hudson, that should be an invitation to just attack the strike zone. You don't need to toy around with these guys because more than likely they're not going to do a lot of damage against you if you force them to stay within the strike zone and try to hit what you're throwing them. Use your defense, trust your stuff, keep it in the zone, and come away with a good outing without walking a single batter. That would be the challenge that I would issue for Dakota Hudson on Saturday. Hopefully the Cardinals coaching staff is trying to impress upon him the exact same philosophy because you've got a team that has not been able to do much damage offensively unless they've been given those free passes. That's a way that they can sort of sneak up on you, and that's been the story of Dakota Hudson's season. So we'll see what he ends up coming up with on Saturday, and we'll try to be right back here on B-Shafe Daily to recap it. This is officially it for the episode of the podcast. Appreciate you guys, as always, for joining me, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shafe Daily. Peace.